0: The opportunity to parent itself is, it, it's a privilege. And when you perceive it from that lens, even though you have the crying and, and and the diaper changes and all the pain to go through, there's so much healing that can go on for yourself. And there's so much you can give to a child.
1: Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Traditionally, dads can sometimes be excluded from much of the conversation around parenting. And I really feel it's important not only to recognize the profound, important, and fun contribution that fathers have on their children's lives, but to also speak to dads in a way that helps them to feel included, empowered, and seen. And that is exactly what today's guest is doing. Kendall Smith was, in his own words, a complete rookie when he became a dad. Not only was he navigating parenting for the first time, but he also had little experience with his own dad, having been raised by a single mom. In an effort to understand really what it takes to be a successful parent, Kendall spoke to many role models about fatherhood and collected all the lessons he learned into his book, Rookie Father, a playbook for men experiencing fatherhood for the first time. So whether you're a dad who's feeling like you're still a rookie at this whole parenting thing, or a mom who could use a little peek into the inner mind of your partner, this episode is a deep dive into what it means to be a dad in America today. Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Bren, a clinical psychologist and mom of two. In this podcast, I've taken all of my clinical experience, current research on brain science and child psychology, and the insights I've gained on my own parenting journey and distilled everything down into easy to understand and actionable parenting insights so you can tune out the noise and tune into your own authentic parenting voice with confidence and calm. This is Securely Attached. Hello everyone. I am really excited to introduce our guest today. Kendall Smith is the author of the book Rookie Father and he is here to talk all things fatherhood and I'm just so glad you're here. Welcome.
0: Thank you Sarah. Great great to be on your show and thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you know, your story. How did you come to find yourself writing this book? So
0: it was an interesting scenario. I was, um, I've offered three different works of fiction and When my son was born, he's about nine months old. And at that point, I was kind of itching to write again. And I was sitting there at literally 5.30 in the morning when I get up to write. And I was kind of just brainstorming on different ideas and nothing in the fiction world, no idea really sparked an immediate interest. And I started giving thought to my perspective as as a parent, (coughs) as a father. And I thought, well, what could I provide in the form of an advice-driven book, not a self-help book, but an advice-driven book that could be applicable And can be um, processed by how men read, which is short, succinct, and to the point. And as I thought there, I'm like, well, my perspective is – it's not truly unique, but there's no self-help book out there for men who are fathers who are raised in absence of one.
1: Mm.
0: There's really nothing out there. And that's where I started really digging into this. And then I just did basically a brain dump of every piece of advice that I found helpful and in – two sessions, I came up with 70 different topics, um, wow. could be chapters and everything from how to manage the in-laws, you know, how to manage your time, how to manage the family money and all these things. And I kind of expanded upon it. And then I decided to write this book in a manner where each chapter, there's over 180 chapters in the book, one to two pages each mm-hmm. that, and that's the applicable process. That's how men read. And that's where it got me started. And then I, I was finished about a year later, um, working through that and parenting and doing all these other things I had to do in my life. So it came through that way.
1: That's amazing. I love that it's written like in the the way like that idea of like the psychology of how a man reads a book. Yeah. Like as someone who reads books, I'm sure as well as writes them. Like you probably know, like what resonates and like if I'm if I'm always skimming, like why not just make it skimmable? <laughs> Yeah, but,
0: I think men also. The funny thing is, is that men don't ask for help. Like this, the title of the genre self help books does mm-hmm. not appeal to men. So that's why yeah. I, like, I never refer to like the, the Rookie Father is not a self help book. It is a, an advice driven book. All the advice I got over the years that could be a- applicable, and I try to yeah. really stay true to that, and make it pragmatic.
1: I like that. I find it really easy to like. I also like how it's laid out, so like you can. You can literally like flip it open and find something useful, but you also have like this nice table of contents that like gives you like, okay, this just happened. What do I do? And you can like go and figure out what it is you need to read. But so how did you end up like this book is really about fatherhood, right? And so why is that topic, you know, having not grown up with a father figure in your life and having to navigate fatherhood? Why do you feel like that is such an important story to talk about?
0: I think it's important because the opportunity to parent itself is, it, it's a privilege. And when you perceive it from that lens, even though you have the crying and, and and the diaper changes and all the pain to go through, there's so much healing that can go on for yourself. And there's so much you can give to a child. And in terms of your role in the world, when you become a parent, I don't care if you're the CEO of a company, your, your number one job is to be a parent, period. And that is quality time with your kid every day, helping your spouse out any way you possibly can or to give them a break, um, to bond with your child. And from the perspective of not having dad growing up, when you have that bond and it forms, every year it gets better and better. And you could almost see it mature in a way that it's like, wow, like I'm getting this reaction from a child that – you know, I would have loved to have had myself and didn't. Um, mm-hmm. And now here it is evolving. And how do I manage that? And then how do you just enjoy it? And when you have that, those moments of pleasure um, that come through, just these little kind of bright spots during your day, it makes all the challenges of parenting worth it. And mm-hmm. I think as a parent, dads don't get the credit they deserve. And for those – that aren't actively parenting, you still have a chance to to make that happen. You sh- you have you should be doing that, and it's a great mm-hmm. thing to strive for, no matter what your flaws have been to date.
1: Yeah, I think that's a very hopeful message, right? Like even if you haven't yet figured out a way to take that role on, whether it's you know legal reasons or access or choice or life gets in the way that, or maybe it's fear, right? Mm-hmm. But that—that's—it's not too late to start that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. It's, it's never too late to start. But also, doing it from the get go and mm-hmm. being a committed husband or spouse, being a, a, an involved parent every day, like the, the rewards are unending.
1: Yeah. How old is your son?
0: He's nine now.
1: He's nine now. So it's like so- eight,
0: eight years since I started like penning this book and getting it published and everything. But it came out last year. But yeah, it's it's. uh it's, the publishing journey is a long one and he's yeah. grown up so quickly. It's just, it's crazy.
1: But so you started writing it when he was little.
0: Yeah, he was nine months old.
1: Wow. So what, I am mean, that's, I'm curious too, because like, I know we have a lot of people who listen to this podcast who have really little kids yeah. and that like beginning couple years, right? There's so much change. There's so much happening, obviously for our children, but for us, like it's a huge identity shift. Yeah. How did the, did that take you by surprise? the the shifting into that role
0: it didn't because i think it's it's all encompassing in those first six months it really Mm -hmm. is and what what i tell and what i advise in the book in one of the chapters is that first year of your child's life if you have a multitude of hobbies if you're a golfer once a week if you like to go out with your, your guy friends like take a sabbatical just for the first year and you know focus on your family and then after year one Thread your hobbies, your interests back into your life slowly. Mm-hmm. And then you have to, at that point, you you learn really, pretty quick just how to manage your time becomes paramount when you become a parent. Yeah. It really is stretched. And you've got to find a way to block in time to get back to yourself. And that mm-hmm. for me, that was setting the alarm clock at six o'clock and and, and honestly writing or doing other creative pursuits. That was my number one thing. And of course I do sports and other things as well, but like, yeah, that nine month mark, I was starting to put together the plan. And, and by the time he was one, I was, I was writing again and yeah. I, needed, I needed to get that have creative outlet and every parent man or woman needs that.
1: I agree. Actually, it's funny when I work with parents, cause I do a lot of, I mean, I work with parents around helping their kids, but I also work with parents in individual therapy just to like help them deal with anxiety and stress and, and all kinds of things. and, one of the first things I ask every parent that I work with is, do you play? And I don't mean play with your kids. I mean, do you play? Like, what do you do for play? Like basically if you kind of divide your life into three categories, work, play, love, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: what is play? And most adults that play is atrophied. And a lot of the work in kind of becoming like an integrated whole human is to get back into play. And it doesn't look like maybe how it looks when our kids play. But for you, it sounds like that creative pursuit is a form of play. And when you have a kid, sometimes we really lose touch of all of the other stuff. It all becomes parenting. And I think to some degree that's sort of biologically driven and that's okay. But if we stay in that space forever, we can really lose ourselves. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's mission critical, (laughs) <laughs> to have that element in your life. And it gets it gets back to time management. You've got to figure out how to how to squeeze it in and use your time efficiently. And that, that demands that if your work life, if you have to work, get 10 hours of work in nine hours, so you can afford yourself an extra hour to play tennis, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could just be hitting the gyms, pumping iron, doing yoga, whatever you want to do, you've got to build in that time. And I think the best way to do it is through a schedule. I hate to say it, but like blocking off your time where if, if your wife calls you and you're like, I'm checking out for an hour, I'll see you later. Like, and and then get reciprocally giving her that time as well. Mm-hmm. And that should be as, as your, as a dad, the first thing you do after that six month mark, when the child's off, you know, either on formula or on solid food, like you take the baby over and you give her the time she needs to be herself. And I think that give and take of, of free time and then finding time for yourselves as a couple I always tell people, and you'll appreciate this, like I um, I don't watch Dr. Phil regularly
1: <laughs>
0: because, you know, it gets a little overly dramatic. But in one episode, he talked about parents when they get to a certain age, they stop dating each other. Mm-hmm. And like you should – and I have a chapter called, you know, dating your wife. Like after year one – Two, three times a month, babysitter, in-laws watching the child, get out. I don't care if it's a a slice of pizza and a cheap movie. Just get out and do something together. And that's kind of to your part of like the the love portion of like your triangle you put together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's not my triangle, it's Freud's, which is like funny because I don't like pull a ton of stuff from Freud, but Freud came up with that work, play, love Ah. balance. And I think he was onto something there, but I think it's funny because actually we'll draw out with... I do this with kids too, but like, it's like a tribe, like a triple Venn diagram, like picture like three circles in a Venn diagram, Mm -hmm. because a lot of things fit in multiple categories, right? Like you can do things that are, um, if you think of love as like connection and relationships, right? You can do a lot of play that's with your kids. That's going to build love and play, Mm -hmm. but, and I don't necessarily mean entertaining your kids endlessly, but like, like, you know, throw and catch with your son if that's something that you both love to do. Um, That's play and love, right? And so there's ways, like you're saying, like time management, you can be efficient at making sure there's balance, but you have to make sure you're looking at that sort of ratio and looking at the zooming out and taking an inventory. Like where is there not enough of something? Yeah, And how do I build it in? And I I imagine your book really goes into ways, I mean – perhaps not using that particular framework, but like, I'm sure your book talks a lot about ways that dads can think about that balance. Like what are some of the things that you would suggest doing other than like, you know, blocking out time and making sure like, how do you multitask or not multitask, but how do you like get some twofers in there? (laughs) Twofers.
0: Well, I love it. I've got a couple chapters um, about, it's titled Your Career as a Section. It talks about how you manage your work life. If you manage your work life well, it's going to free up time for other things. And there's th- certain elements that may be put or certain um, constraints put upon you, on your boss. And you may get like, pulled into meetings that you don't need to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have a couple suggestions where it's like, if you're in a meeting and you don't have to be there, you're not accomplishing anything, you're not contributing anything, just leave. And if anyone questions you, why didn't you say through that meeting? It's like, well, I had other, I had other h- higher priorities to manage at work. I have a deal mm-hmm. to get out. I've got something to work on here. No boss is going to question you if you're accomplishing something more important than attending a mundane meeting. That's not accomplishing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is that if you're being, if too much is being put on your plate and you can't manage, is it, if it's managing a book of business, If it's managing a number of clients, if there's too many, then you have to go back and step up and say, look, I'm working at seven o'clock at night. This has to stop. You know, there's too much on my plate. If I'm managing 30 accounts, I need 50, I need 25. And I need you to help me accomplish this. Put it on your boss for them to manage the situation. Mm -hmm. And don't be afraid to do that when you're a parent. You know, I, I I advise dads like you should get home at least four out of the five work nights. Spend time with your kid before he goes to sleep. And if you can do that and you can get home by 7, okay, 7 p.m., that should be the goal. And that's mm-hmm. getting a little earlier um, or it's having a, a challenging conversation with your boss. You should have that as soon as possible.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because I feel like, you know, I talk to a lot of moms who are working moms. Yeah. And, the you know, the the language around it is like, you know, women are – we're always kind of navigating these dual roles and sometimes it's to our detriment in our careers because the idea is like women are just assumed to be the primary caregiver, the primary parent, the default parent. And so they're often like, they they don't expect them to come to the meetings after they've just had a kid. Um, Even if they want to be invited to those meetings. And I think it's an interesting dynamic for like the, the, the dads to sort of have to speak up and say, I'm, I have multiple roles here and I have to prioritize. And the more that dads do that in the workplace, I think there's a little bit more equity sometimes for, like, from an internal vantage point, from like the company, internal company vantage point, looking at who is a parent, like helping them to remember, like, men and women are both very often parents. It's not just the women. And I think that's a really important thing that, that you're sort of talking about here. Like there's a lot of ripples that come from that.
0: Yeah. I think it also, the, the, the there's more equity in relationships now compared to when I was growing up in the seventies, a lot more. Mm-hmm. And for, for the better, because, you know, I always, I tell like, you know, if dads complain, you know, about their wives and their jobs and, and things aren't getting done, I'm like, look, I'm like, look, you're you, both of you working. It, it provides you the opportunity to afford a lifestyle that you're giving your kids a lot a much richer experience. And I don't mean by wealth. I mean by just like opportunities mm-hmm. and that's worth preserving. And you know, whatever you can do as a dad, if it's getting, if it's taking the kids off your wife's hands so she can do, maybe it's like an overseas call, you know, at night if you're on the West coast and you have to have a client meeting at 9 PM, it happens. You know, I, I get sucked mm-hmm. into European meetings sometimes at like 7 AM. I'm like, really? But you got to do it. Um, <laughs> And that's just it's the give and take. But I I think that um, the equity of roles between parent and work, if if you can both manage that, it's it's harder when you don't have a full time parent at home. But um, it does afford the opportunity to to have more quality in the relationship. And I think men especially, um, I think they need more of that to some extent. And they need to be respected more as as a caregiver when they're when they're there for their kids as much as they can be.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because like, obviously we, when we talk about equity in the home, we're looking at, you know, two partners trying to figure out how do we balance this, this load, right? When we're talking about equity in the workplace, it's a lot times more how do whomever we are, whether we're fathers or mothers, how are we communicating our responsibilities outside of work to our employers? And I think that, I think men are, across the board, men are doing a better job now of saying like, I'm going to take my full paternity leave. Yep. Um, I'm going to let you know that I have to be home to get the kids from daycare at this time. I'm going to make it louder that I'm a parent. And because I don't think historically women don't have to be loud to be seen as the parent. It's it's right. almost like inferred, even when that's not the case, like mm-hmm. obviously if they assume you're a parent because they know you have kids, but the the amount of responsibility they assume you will be taking is completely sort of projected onto women, and I think the more men vocalize, "Oh, I can't do this meeting because I've got to, i got to take my kid to the doctor," or you know, actually saying the things that are causing the like redistribution of how I'm spending my time versus just being like, Oh, I can't make that meeting or I'm going to be out this week. But saying it's because you are prioritizing your family and your parenting that communicates to your company what your priorities are. And they listen, they listen to their employees because they want to retain good talent and they want to make it a place where men and women who are parents both want to work. And so I think it's something you don't necessarily realize has such an impact. But when you, as a dad, are communicating why you need a boundary or you need some help or you are going to be taking time off or you're going to be leaving a meeting early. And you, you explain that it's because of your role of parenthood that helps moms. It helps your partners. It helps everything. And I think, yeah, I love that. I think that's so important.
0: And we we should also, the the credit is owed to the millennials. Mm. I'm a Gen Xer. So I'm one of these. I'm 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 the bitter generation between Boomers and Millennials. <laughs> and Millennials put their foot down, fifteen maybe twenty years ago, and said, "I need a work-life balance," and that threw everything off. Can you imagine a baby boomer, a dad, in 1975, <laughs> 1980, going to his boss saying, "You know, I can't make that meeting tonight. I've got my my son's softball game or my son's baseball game." Yeah. No way. That's a cultural shift, and we should. Yeah. Thank and praise the millennials for doing that. They deserve credit. Not for everything, not for a lot, but they deserve credit for that.
1: (laughs) Yes, I agree. I agree. And there's a lot of other stuff that's really, like, kind of amazing about your book. I was curious. I would love to talk a little bit more, too, about, like, you know, you mentioned, like, you didn't grow up with a father figure. That was a big impetus for wanting to write this book. It's almost like the advice you didn't get because you didn't get it modeled for you. Mm -hmm. When you are dad raising a son, I can't imagine that there isn't like some grief and loss that gets kicked up for you as you are going through. Like, does there are parts of you that feel like I need this advice and in part like that reminds me of the fact that I didn't get it modeled as a kid?
0: Yeah, I talk about the kind of these scenarios in the book. Where if you're a dad and you have this almost like it's, I, don't, I hate to use the word trigger because it's such a, it's a fake word in terms of the psychological point. I not want to get into that. But there are these moments where you will as a dad have a, a flashback or a moment. It could be just something <laughs> that triggers you to have this almost like a recall. And yeah. it, it, it definitely, it hurts. But the thing to remember is a child is a clean slate. And no matter what you went through as a child – Um, Your baggage, it means it has actually no relevance to the child you're trying to raise. They didn't experience the same things. They didn't go through any of the pain that you had. So you have to learn how to manage that as an Mm -hmm. adult. And to manage that, what I suggest is that you spend some quality time with yourself and um, either write out your feelings, whatever works for you. If it's talking to your spouse about it, which is the most helpful and healthy thing you could probably do. But identify it and almost package it in your mind so you can identify it. And by identify, it means like if it comes up again, it's like, all right, I went through this before um, and not to compartmentalize it, but to at least know that it's there in the back of your mind and you can identify it. So you don't have a reaction that is has a negative, um, a negative result with your immediate family. And yeah. if that's anger, if that's depression, you've got to be able to manage that. And that's kind of, you know, I, I define parenthood is, as the ultimate adulthood. Like you, mm-hmm. whatever you do before you have kids, I don't care what you did. The day you become a parent, like you're an adult. Like you are responsible for another human being and their life and their well-being. And you need to embrace that and be able to manage your own psychological concerns, issues in a manner that's befitting for your family. And, he- and healthy, healthier for your family.
1: Hmm. I mean, I'm I'm down with that. I follow that. I follow that pedagogy. I like the idea of like being aware, right? Like what you're saying is there'll be these moments in parenthood where you have this like memory or this flashback or this feeling just like floods you, right? And I think the big difference between being able to do what you just described and not being able to do it is awareness. Right? Because if you can't notice that it's happening and get enough space from it in the moment to say, ooh, that thing just came up for me and it's not connected to my child, yeah. that is the moment where you get to say, I'm going to choose what I do instead of just reflexively being inside of it right, and reacting to the thing that just flooded you instead of creating a little bit of space to say, ooh, that just happened and even if, like, if, if in the moment you're actively parenting, maybe I can't just process this thing. I have to sort of, like you said, compartmentalize in the moment. Yeah. But then you got to go back and you got to say, like, what was that thing that flashed up in me when my kid said this or did this or, you know, where this scenario just occurred? Yeah. Like, do you have any memories of like things that were particularly activating? For you, like when your son was little, that made you think, "Ooh, wait, I got to separate from that for a second, put that over here for a minute, and come back to it." Well,
0: I mean, nothing, nothing. I think that's nothing comes immediately to mind. But what I will say is that when that happens, it's not only good to talk to your spouse; it's going to talk to a professional and to go into therapy and to talk to someone about that. Uh, I think having that outlet you know, without your spouse present to be able to kind of get into it with a professional. Um, I'm an advocate of therapy at no matter what stage you are in life. Um, my wife and I went through it when we, we couldn't conceive our own child. We ended up becoming an adoptive family and the years that went on into that. And during the whole process was a challenge, but therapy helps you can get we'll work you through that. And also there's psychological, I kind of call them psychological knots. You can't untie yourself. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, anything that's post-traumatic, it doesn't hurt to talk to someone as a professional. And then what ends up happening is you drill back in. The, how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? You kind of wean it all back. And the interesting thing is you come back to a lot of the angst, anxiety, whatever comes back to your from your parents, and what you were raised on. And what I advise in the book is is that when you're in a situation where you're raised in absence of the father, when you start to unpackage that and you realize I can. I can almost write my own script. And by that, I mean, look at all the role models you had, um, including the negative ones in your life. If you had, if there's some major flaw that your mother um, or father instilled in your family life, and you have the opportunity to go talk to them about that and unpackage that with them. Like, you know, why, why are you so strict with keeping my room clean? Like, I don't understand that. Like, it just, mm-hmm. something happened that like, and annoyed me that kind of raised that like thing in my head. And then listen. And then you could listen to what they're telling you, like, oh, we, we did it for X, Y, and Z. And you're like, okay, I agree with this and this, but not that. And mm-hmm. as a parent, you could say, I'm going to take these two and drop the other third. Mm-hmm. You can actually do that. And that's mm-hmm. when you can actually become, you know, you can outparent your parents on some level by learning the flaws that they exuded themselves as parents.
1: A hundred percent. I love that. Like, I totally kind of consider that interrupting intergenerational cycles, right? Because yeah. basically, and like you were saying, like, I love this idea that like, you're actually kind of looking at the way your parents parented with some compassion, right? You're, you're being willing to go back to them and say, Hey, why I'm curious, right? Not screw you for doing this, but mm-hmm. I, there must've been a reason, like, why did you do that? Like, it's reflective functioning, right? It's like taking that perspective of the other person and trying to understand where they were coming from. That's so healthy for us to practice that and model that for our kids, right? And so when we go to our parents and we say, like, help me understand this, and then we take what we like and we leave what we don't, we're creating this conscious awareness of how we want to choose to parent. And it's this intentionality that you're bringing to parenting where you're picking and when you pick the way you want to parent, now there are going to be moments where like the reflexive parenting comes out because you just can't help it. Can't be perfect all the time. Yeah. But that it's it's a lot more easy, I think, and a lot more rewarding to feel like you're in charge of the way you're parenting rather than sort of feeling like I lay down at the end of the day, be like, I don't even know what happened. How did that happen? Whew, that was awful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's 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 bringing objectivity. To your, to your own parents and how they they how they they, they managed um, their parenthood um, and and parenting of you and that objectivity when you come from a one parent family by and large which I was you you, you kind of need to do that to process it and you also start to appreciate the fact that when there's two of you my god life is so much easier but I don't know how my mom did it between all the sporting events. She worked full time. Like she had so much to manage. And then when there's two of us, it's a lot easier and it makes you almost appreciate marriage more. Um, mm-hmm. when you realize just how much more enjoyable parenting can be when you're not the sole provider financially, yeah. emotionally, whatever. And yeah. you know, I, I'm a huge advocate of marriage. I mean, I, I don't, I don't like, I don't put a should in front of it to my readers. But there's a lot of benefits to it when you're in a committed and healthy relationship and your child benefits so much more from it.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think the this, and however you want to form it, like the health of the family unit yeah. is incredibly significant <clears throat> in the outcome of the health of the child. Mm-hmm. And you can be healthy in lots of different ways, but being healthy is so important. Like being able to talk to each other, resolve conflicts, not sweep things under the rug, not simmer in silence and not deal with things, right? Not avoid repair, right? Whether it's with your spouse or with your kid or with your parents, right? That stuff is, it's a a toxic thing to hold inside of us. And so when we do the work to figure out, one, to notice that it's there, to reflect on it, to try to figure out how to untie those knots that I think is a great metaphor for a lot of this work. And, but doing that helps your kids, even yep. if it has nothing to do with your kids, it helps your kids because when the family unit is healthy, psychologically healthy, physically healthy, emotionally healthy, that like everybody's in that, everyone's in that family unit, Yeah. right? Okay. Everyone gets the benefit of that. Yeah, it's true.
0: Yeah, it is. I think it's, um, and that's why it's rewarding when you're in like year three, year four, year five, and you, you have a little, you, you have your kind of side excursions, you have your family life, and like you start to get this balance. And the balance always gets thrown off multiple times a year. Yeah. Anyway, so, something get, something happens, an in-law gets sick or whatever. It's like things happen, but it's almost like the ultimate defense you know, against life itself is, is having a, a stronger family unit. You know, your, your stresses that you process in the outside of the family are easier to absorb when you're back in your kind of, in the womb or the family, which is a very feminine way of explaining. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that came from, but it, it, there's some truth to that.
1: Yeah. I think that that, yeah, I, that makes a lot of sense, right? We all came from the womb, right? <laughs> Even dads. <laughs> <laughs> we all did. And there's something very comforting about kind of thinking about a family as like being held inside of that safe space. Yeah. Yeah. That nurturing safe space. I like that. So, okay. Can you talk to about like, masculinity and how it's evolved like how how much are masculinity and fatherhood synonymous or not synonymous and how has that like shifted in your perspective
0: i think that it's i think masculinity has come kind of kind of under attack mm-hmm. and in some ways for, uh, for the better like the me too movement i think opened a lot of eyes and i think it was very important for us as a country to go through that to realize what was out there, the bad behavior, and I think that um, I think it makes men, I think, a little more apprehensive about embracing being um, more masculine or being like a dad's dad. I think there's some hesitancy, and that hesitancy mm-hmm. comes through when I see it and talk to younger dads. I think they're a little, almost, afraid to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think the key thing is, when as a parent, you know, embracing you know the duality of parenting. And the responsibility with that and once you get through that that's the most responsible thing you could do that's the most masculine thing you can do is to be and spend quality time with your family and i think from there uh i think it's just important to have your own identity and to associate yourselves if you you know i as a child as an eight-year-old i started to become conscious of men that i wanted to emulate when i grew up and men i did not mm-hmm. and i saw that in my neighborhood in, um, in the Boy Scouts I saw, good and bad, I saw a, a lot. And I, I then I was absorbing at that young age, like, what things I wanted to make my own. And mm-hmm. I think you could still do that as an adult and be like, you know, like, you know, there's a role in my family I really respected. And I talk about going back when you become a parent and, like, talking to those in your life that have values you want to espouse yourself and sitting down with them and, like, digging into, like, how they came about to that perspective and learning about, you know, not their values, but why they cherish them and making that your own. If you highly, if you value that, if it's like overt honesty and being outspoken and like mm-hmm. you love that in, it doesn't have to be a man. It could be like an aunt that you grow up with, like, oh, she was so outspoken and hopefully she's still around. You can sit down and talk to her and like dig into it with her. Like, why are you so outspoken? Mm-hmm. Like, why just, why do you say anything comes to your mind and just sit back and listen? And Mm -hmm. like, maybe you're the person that doesn't speak up enough and you want to espouse that. Well, then start doing it. Just start practicing it. Mm -hmm. If something like emotionally comes to your head and you want to just say it, see what happens when you do it. And I think that that as a man, you know, not just being outspoken, but like there's certain attributes you can to espouse yourself and become more comfortable with. And Mm -hmm. I think you should go down that path. And then discard the other things that you didn't like, you know, it could be a bad, you know, a bad close role model of yours that you don't want to be not associated with, but you don't, you don't want to do what they do. It could be Mm -hmm. maybe it's a certain laziness or a certain uh, level of entitlement, which Mm -hmm. is creeping up more and more in our society. The sense of like, it's owed to me. It's like nothing. No one owes you anything. You need to owe it to yourself. And like, Mm -hmm. Maybe if you have that attribute in you or it's come out before, it's like, you know, this this is not going to work for me when I'm a parent. And I don't want my kids to reflect that value as well.
1: I like that. I like the idea of even breaking masculinity and femininity for that matter down into a collection of values that you that mean something to you. Yeah. Rather than it being some sort of like predetermined cookie cutter, like these are the things it's like, it's an individual process of saying like, let me look at the collection of the people in my life. How did they make me feel? How did they make others feel? How kind, how do they impact the world around them in a way that felt, uh, feels aligned with what I want to do? What were the things that made them them? And how do I take what I like? leave what I don't. And how do I form this sense of like confidence around and competence around those traits and those values? I I mean, that sounds like a good recipe.
0: I think you have to, I, I think from the point of view of being raised in absence of a father, it's important to go through that process just for, for pure confidence sake. You know, I just think it's a healthy thing to go through. i do not think you need to reinvent yourself, but, um, you have to think about what kind of values you're going to pass on to your own kids. What do you want them to appreciate? I want my son to appreciate education. I want my son to appreciate music. So he's expressed interest. I'm a drummer. We've given him lessons. We're going to try to do some more over the summer and get him into it. And like, if that's part of his life growing up. Even though it's not really a value, it's more of a hobby, but like, bear with me. But I think it's, um, God, like the rewards of like having music in your life, your whole yeah. life, and you can play it. Oh my God. It's just such a great outlet. It's So much better than golf. I'll tell you mm-hmm. that right now. So much better. Golf's too expensive.
1: People don't go to golf concerts. They're boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. <laughs> but I, but I would, I would even challenge you a little bit because I do believe playing music is a value because it's about where, where at least it, it, it's a product of a value system, right. Of like being in tune with your creative expression, that's value. Being able to like, be dedicated and disciplined around a, a craft. Mm-hmm. That's a value. Um Being willing to like pursue something with passion. Those are values. Like I, and I think music will do that, but anything like, I think following a kid's lead and being curious about what their interests are, that's a value in parenthood. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of things there. like, Playing the drums may not be a value, but all the things that go into it totally are.
0: Yeah. yeah that's a good point. And I think to your point about letting your kids explore their interests, I think this is actually one of the things I talk about in the book where it's like you, um, as a parent, you have to let your kids kind of find their own way. So I was a I loved soccer growing up. And when my son was 4 I'm like, hey, you know, why don't we get the soccer ball, kick it around? I don't like soccer. So a year later, I'm like, hey, you want to play some soccer? No, I wanna play football. I'm like, okay. So he got into football and then I was coaching him in flag football and I was coaching him in in tackle football. And where I was out of of kind of, you know, out of my comfort zone trying to coach tackle. Um, (laughs) I never played tackle football, but like let him find his own path. And now he's moved on from football. He wants to do wrestling. I wrestled for one year in high school. I sucked at it. I was a horrible wrestler. But, you know, let him pursue it. And then if football goes by the wayside, my point is, is you shouldn't impose your own beliefs on what your son should do. You should let them kind of, you know, follow their own course and support. Mm-hmm. And to that point, you shouldn't follow, have him follow it. If they want to do 10 sports, you got to help him manage his time. And like, yeah. look, you can't play 10 sports. We can't be out every single day doing sports. You need some downtime. We need some downtime. So let's stick to two sports in the spring, for example, which is what he's doing.
1: Yeah. So then you're doing two really important parenting things. One is you're following your child's lead with this sort of curiosity, not mm-hmm. like you are this you know, empty vessel that I must fill up. But you are, in fact, this fully formed human being. And it's my job to discover who you are and what your interests are. So show me. So you're following their lead. But you're also putting up guide rails or like bumpers. You know, you're not you are the container and that's another huge role of parenthood right like yeah if your kid wants to do 10 sports and you recognize that that's not a healthy use of their bandwidth or yeah. is not aligned with the greater family needs and harmony and balance then you contain it but i think you can do both of those things at the same time and it's a it's a it's an art form <laughs> sometimes
0: yeah it is i also think it's important for parents to realize like you're, you're really, you're not trying to mold to kind of to your point point, mold what your child should and shouldn't do. Like you're there to guide them to adulthood and give them all the options and the opportunities they possibly can. And they may go sideways and become an artist and you're a banker. You know like, what, what happened here? Well, if you drive your child that wants to be an artist and become a banker, they gonna be pretty miserable. Like let them find their own way and encourage mm-hmm. that. And it's, it's also, you know, the one thing back to kind of two income families is if you have two parents and you can afford like the coaching and everything they want to really pursue it aggressively or um, if it's music lessons, if you guys have heard of School Rock, you know, that mm-hmm. organization.
1: Yeah, we have one where I live.
0: It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. They're, they they have us out by us too.
1: That's a pricey endeavor.
0: And like – Again, if you if you're only a one-income family and you can't you know maybe you, have to, you can't do school of rock, but if, if you're in a successful um, relationship and both parents have the income to afford that kind of thing, like what a special thing to give to your child. And that's another thing that you know we talk about family finances in the rookie father as well as like if you can manage your finances to afford those kind of special opportunities for your kid, like you you've done probably ten times what your parents have done were able to provide to you. And that's you know it's you're giving a your child one more extra opportunity that you may not have. And that's, that's a success. That's a win as a parent.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I would not challenge you on that at all. I would add though, that that's not the, like there are so many other ways. Like if you can't afford that, for example, yeah, your interest in their interests is a very free, but really, really powerful support. So even if you can't, and, By all means, I really do agree. Like if you can figure out a way to prioritize your financial situation so that you do invest in your children and in their interests when it's available to you, instead of just being like, I don't, you know, sometimes we have to make choices with finances and sometimes we make choices with finances that don't hold our children in that picture. So like that's something I think is worth kind of paying attention to. But even if you take money out of the picture, our attention has more value to our kids than anything. So if we pay attention to the things, if they want to play a song for us that they're working on mm-hmm. to sit down and listen, to make the time on a Saturday afternoon to go and like, go, pl- go to the music in the park. Cause that's what your kid likes to do. Even though you maybe wanted to do something else, right? Like, so it's, Yes, where we put our money matters and also where we put our attention matters a lot.
0: Yeah. No, I think it's I think it's um there's a lot of truth in that. A ton. I agree.
1: <laughs> that's yeah, I think I think sometimes we forget too, and sometimes we throw money at it and we think that's enough. And it's not. Like we gotta show up to the recitals that we pay for the lessons for. We got to be there. It doesn't really have the same impact if we're just buying the stuff and not showing up. And I think, I know as a mom, that's something I think about, but I I wonder if that is something that resonates for you as like a dad or someone who talks to a lot of dads, this idea that like, I pay for the lessons. Isn't that enough?
0: Yeah, I don't think, no, I think it's being involved is is number one. And also there's ways, and, and I talk about having a financial plan, like once a year sitting down and budgeting things so you can, you can pursue these things. And the other thing is also, I'll give you an example where my son was interested in, in, in catching in baseball. And there's a multitude of ways, uh, to find used gear or in the case of like finding catcher gear. And I actually threw out on one of these mom and dad sites, one of these, these town sites that have like, you know, 5,000, 6,000 members and all the parents and they're chiming about whatever. And, Mm-hmm. I, just, I threw in there, you know, my son's interested in, in catching. Anyone have any, any leftover gear that their kids have grown out of. I got three full sets of catcher gear, all different sizes for my son. That's
1: amazing.
0: And just by throwing it out there. And you can find things that um, there's kind of old school tips and and tricks you can use to, to afford the things you need for your kids if, if you uh, make the time to do so yeah yeah
1: that's a very helpful strategy i think that so any any what's your favorite chapter in the book what was the most fun to write about or what do you think is like the one you are you think is one of your favorites
0: i I think that the section called your legacy is for me i think the the one in your legacy is oriented around you know what does a a man leave behind a husband leave behind for his family and um and i talk about I, i quote bruce springsteen and I talk about how that if your legacy, he, he attributes childhood memories and fond ones as like almost a treasure chest. And when you have these warm, wonderful childhood memories, you know, it's like a treasure. And it's like if your legacy as a father is that, you're, that you gave your, chance, your kids a chance, you know, not only to love you, but to spend the quality time with them, that they're going to remember things years later that are these like unpackaged little wonderful memories that go in this treasure box. Like my son, fishing with my son, he loves to fish. And like we're planning some other excursions this year besides like just going for sunnies in a brook. You know, we're gonna try to do the Jersey shore and like go do some like shore fishing or whatever. Like we can add that to the treasure chest and he has that memory later on in life and maybe he goes with his son and goes fishing and like I remember going fishing with my dad and whatever. Like that's you know a wonderful accomplishment um, mm-hmm. to achieve yourself. And to leave behind. And the other thing also is that if you can, if you leave this world and if you came from a divorced family and um, you find yourself 40 years from now and you're married, let's say you're married 30 years and your kids have gone to a good school, college, whatever, or in a great trade, whatever it may be, um, and you kept your family together, you've corrected an imbalance in your lineage. Mm-hmm. And I think that overcoming that is so rewarding um when you don't have that as a child when you have a broken home when you have a divorced home and like you also you can look back and say mom and dad like you know your marriage didn't last as long as, as ours have we've gone three times as long and I, I actually talk about you know another chapter i liked was there's what i call the milestone year for your marriage and that is it's not your 10th year anniversary it's not the 20th it's not a special day it's the year, number of years you've been married that surpasses the number of years your parents were married. Hmm. And that's pretty interesting to look at. Like, my parent marriage, I think their marriage lasted, I think I told, you know, eight years. So that ninth year, like, anniversary of my wife was like, for me, at the time, I didn't really think about it until I started writing about it. Mm -hmm. Like, ten years later. And I'm like, that was an an important milestone for me. I, I actually surpass what my parents were able to achieve as a couple, as a loving couple. And I just, again, it gets back to my like respect for for marriage and, you know, my in-laws are married 59 years this year. Yeah. That's just unbelievable. Amazing. I mean, I can't, it's wonderful. Yeah. And it, it's, it, it means so much more when you have, when you have kids.
1: Yeah. I think that that's really beautiful. I think looking at it too is like, okay, I'm doing something different here right? I'm breaking a cycle Mm -hmm. by, by putting this effort into, and like, you know, some marriages don't work out and that's okay. But when there's ways to save it, like when there's ways to maintain the health of a relationship because you are doing the work to maintain the health of the relationship mm-hmm. and it's thriving because of that work, like that is something to celebrate. And if you've been able to do it longer than maybe your parents were able to, like, I think that's really beautiful to acknowledge that effort on your part and that, that milestone. So that's pretty cool. Especially if you can, you know, if you're growing up, if you are living out a family life now that is intentionally different from the one that you were in when you were a child. You have to celebrate those things. You have yeah. to acknowledge the work you put into that, and and whether it's reparenting yourself or approaching your romantic relationships differently, your partnerships differently. Um, when you do it successfully, logging it, like you, it's one thing to do it. It's a whole nother to log it. Like you have to say to yourself, "Wow, look what I've done." Yeah. Because that's how you rewrite the blueprint. That's how you edit that old blueprint that you inherited.
0: Yeah. And when you look at families that, if you look at families that remain intact, you know, generation after generation, generation, and you compare that to um, families that get divorced and go sideways. And then you look at the likelihood of divorce for a child that that comes from a divorced family. um, They're 40% more likely to get divorced if one spouse of the two comes from a divorced family. And if both, they're 200% more likely, according to um, a lot of studies I, I, that I talk about in the book. Mm. And being able to correct that yeah, it is doing something positive. It really is. I mean, it's kind of saying the obvious. But I, I think from a societal standpoint, the more we can do that, I think you'll have you know greater independence, greater financial stability, better psychological um, health overall. And you know, if you're do a small part of that, keeping your family together, you're 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 doing more for society th- than most people do, just by simply like sticking it out and working through your marriage and and being a responsible parent.
1: Yeah, and I think there's so much to be said for again, like that health of the relationship, that health of the family. Like I'm a, I'm a firm believer that. Sometimes prioritizing the health of the family actually does mean separating and co-parenting amicably. But again, like the question isn't what does the family structure look like? The fa- the question is how healthy is the family structure? And a divorced co-parenting family that is amicably raising those kids in a really healthy way is probably I would wonder in those studies like is the rate of divorces high? Because I would wonder yeah. if what we're really looking at there is the health of the family unit, no matter what shape it takes. And to your point, like, when you put the work in to make sure that you are prioritizing the health of the family unit, you're going to see really good outcomes, better outcomes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Of truth that. Yeah.
1: Oh, this is. I'm really excited about this book because I really don't – like, I'm always looking for good books for dads. And, you know, I found some good ones, but the, I really – I really – think this is a great book and I think it is really accessible and I think it it just has a really great message. So thank you so much. If people want to get this book or want to learn more about your work, how can they find you?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, thanks. I'm glad you appreciate the book. So it's available at most major retailers, a lot of local bookstores as well for the likes of Amazon, Walmart. Um, you can find it, um, online at familias.com. The publisher's familius. So, you know, I encourage readers and dads to check it out. It's, uh, and it's a great, it's also, um, not a bad Father's Day gift to give. No
1: way. For new yeah. dads, you I know, think so.
0: and it's, cause it's not, it's again, it's, it's not written in the manner of like, here's a 30 page chapter on what you should do for X, Y, Z. It's about, look, here's a section on your in-laws so get a get section on, you know, your relationship, your own health, um, and approaching fatherhood. So there's a lot of things you can go in there, extract and, there's chapters you can skip altogether, but hopefully there's a couple nuggets in there that I think dads can get out of that are at least – actionable. Yes. Which is the whole
1: purpose. Of I like that. I, it's funny. Cause I remember once I was talking to my husband about like, I was learning all this stuff about parenting. I was doing this training and I kept talking to him about it. And at one point he was like, I really don't want to hear this anymore. Like, I hate this thing that you're doing. And I was like, what? I love it. Why? And he's like, cause everything that you are telling me, I just hear as a criticism of how I'm doing it wrong. And I was like, Oh no, like the delivery has been the problem, not the content. So like, I love the idea of like, this book actually doesn't feel like, okay, let me give this to you because you're bad at this and I want to make you better. It's like, this is a very like positive, accessible, fun book that really does feel like it would be something a dad would pick out for themselves. So it's not so much like a, like if you left this on your husband's nightstand, I don't think he would take it as a criticism. Yeah,
0: and that, I, it's it's trying to, it's trying to package advice in a manner that's befitting for how men consume uh, content mm-hmm. advice. And that is the first step is managing their ego. And a man's ego is a castle without a drawbridge. I don't know how to explain <laughs> that. I don't have an analogy for it, but it's there's serious, like men have ego problems with that. So it's just making it actionable is really the whole goal is like, look, if if if, if X is not happening, here's an approach that, that worked for me. Or it's, sometimes it's like, I took the advice from this dad and it actually worked wonderful. There's actually a piece of advice in there. It's like I talk about um, how you'll never get this time back with your child. When they're just one and starting to walk and you get that time with them and spend it. Like You never get that time back. It's over. You'll, you'll always have you know more money, but you'll never have more time mm-hmm. with your family. So it's important to remember that just to stay involved. And, um, and just the last thing I'll just note is that you're going to make mistakes as a parent. Like you're going to make mistakes. Some of them will be stupid. If you don't learn from them, you'll, you know, your kids will suffer, but approach parenthood as like you're you're just trying a new sport and just really trying to learn the ways and, and ask for advice. The more you can get, and make your own. If you think it's applicable and it's, 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 it's a functional solution, then go
1: for it. I love that. That's good advice. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And we'll talk soon.
0: Yeah. Great talking to you. Thanks, Sarah. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much for listening. Are you enjoying this podcast? If you are. It would be amazing if you could go ahead and hit follow on whatever platform you're listening on right now. And if you could leave a rating and a review to let me know what you're liking, what you want to hear more of, or what questions you want me to answer, I would be so grateful. Your comments make a huge difference in helping get the podcast in the hands and the ears of other parents just like you. And no matter how you choose to celebrate, I hope you all have a very happy Father's Day this weekend. And until next week, don't be a stranger.